Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Costco Wholesale Corporation Fiscal First Quarter 2024 Earnings Call. Today's call is being recorded, and all lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, it is star 1 again. I would now like to turn the call over to Richard Galanti, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Uh, thank you, Lisa, and good afternoon to everyone. I will start by stating that these discussions will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These statements involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual events, results, and or performance to differ materially <clears throat> excuse me, differ materially from those indicated by such statements. The risks and uncertainties include but are not limited to those outlined in today's call, as well as other risks identified from time to time in the company's public statements and reports filed with the SEC. Uh, forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made, and the company does not undertake to update these statements except as required by law. Comparable sales and comparable sales excluding impacts from changes in gasoline prices and foreign exchange are intended as supplemental information and are not a substitute for net sales presented in accordance with GAAP. In today's release, we reported operating results for the first quarter of fiscal 24, the 12 weeks ended November 26th. Reported net income for the 12-week first quarter came in at $1.589 billion, or $3.58 per share, up from $1.364 billion, or $3.07 per share in the 12-week first quarter last year. This year's results included a tax benefit of $44 million, or $0.10 a share, related to stock-based compensation. Last year's results included a tax benefit of $53 million, or $0.12 per share, related to stock-based compensation, and also included a charge of $93 million pre-tax, or $0.15 per share, primarily related to downsizing our charter shipping activities. Net sales for the first quarter were $56.72 billion, a 6.1% increase over last year's first quarter, $53.44 billion. Net sales were benefited by approximately one-half to 1% in the U.S. and worldwide from the shift of the fiscal calendar as a result of the 53rd week in fiscal 2023. The following comparable sales reflect comparable locations year-over-year and comparable retail weeks. Uh, in the U.S., reported 2% comp sales, ex-gas deflation and FX, 2.6%. Canada reported 6.4%, ex-gas and FX, 8.2%. Other international reported 11.2%, ex-gas and FX, 7.1%. For total company, reported 3.8% and a 3.9% excluding uh, those two items. E-commerce, which was reported on as, as a 6.3%, uh, came in at a 6-1, excluding FX. Overall, for the first fiscal quarter, fresh foods were relatively strong once again, with food and sundries right behind. Non-food showed improvement over the September, October, November timeframe, as did e-com sales. In terms of Q1 comp sales metrics, traffic or shopping frequency increased 4.7% worldwide and 3.6% in the United States. Our average transaction was down nine-tenths of a percent worldwide and down 1.6% in the U.S. Foreign currencies relative to the U.S. dollar positively impacted sales by approximately four-tenths of a percent, while gasoline price deflation negatively impacted sales by approximately six-tenths of a percent. I've gotten more than a few calls in the past few weeks as to how many pies we sold 
in the U.S. leading up to the Thanksgiving holiday. In the U.S., in the three days leading up to Thanksgiving, we sold 2.9 million of our famous pumpkin pies, along with 1.3 million apple and pecan pies. So over 4 million pies in total during the three days. Back to the income statement here. Next on the income statement is membership fee income. In the quarter, we reported uh, 1.082 billion dollars or 1.91 percent that's an 82 million or 8.2 percent increase and a four basis point increase over the first quarter last year in terms of renewal rates uh, at first quarter end our u.s and canada renewal rate stood at 92.8 percent while the worldwide rate came in at 90.5 percent both of these rates were up one-tenth of one percent from those numbers uh, 12 weeks earlier at the end of the fourth quarter Membership growth continues. We ended Q1 with 72.0 million paid household members, up 7.6% versus last year, and 129.5 million cardholders, up 7.1%, with consistent growth throughout the quarters. At Q1N, we had 33.2 million paid executive members, an increase of 939,000 during the 12 weeks since Q4 end. Executive members now represent a little over 46% of our paid members and a little over 73% of worldwide sales. Moving down the income statement next is our gross margin. Our reported gross margin in the fourth quarter was higher year over year by 43 basis points, coming in at, <clears throat> excuse me, coming in at 11.04% up from Q1 of last year at 10.61. That 43 basis point reported number, X gas deflation would be plus 36 basis points. Uh, as uh, I normally do here, we uh, write down two columns and uh, six line items. The first column is reported in the first quarter. The second column is margins excluding gas deflation. It's the year-over-year change in the first quarter. On a core, core merchandise, plus three basis points reported, minus three basis points uh, X deflation. Ancillary and other businesses, plus 24 reported and plus 22 X deflation, gas deflation. Two percent reward, uh, lower uh, year over year, minus four basis points reported and minus three X gas deflation. LIFO, plus three and plus three, and other plus 17 and plus 17 for a total, again, reported year over year up 43 basis points and X gas deflation up 36 basis points. Starting with the core, again, it was a total company. It was plus three and minus three reported in X gas deflation. In terms of core margin on their own sales or core on core margins, we're up by five basis points year over year. Ancillary and other business gross margin, again, higher by 24 and higher by 22 X deflation, gas deflation. This increase was driven largely by gas and e-com. Our 2% reward, higher by 4 and higher by 3x deflation, uh, reflecting higher sales penetration coming from our executive members. LIFO, plus 3 basis points. We had a $15 million LIFO credit in the first quarter of this year. This compared to a very small half-million dollar LIFO charge in Q1 a year ago. and then the other light item, that 17 basis points to the positive, as was mentioned earlier, last year in Q1, there was a 17 basis point impact from a $93 million pre-tax charge, primarily related, primarily for the downsizing of our charter shipping activities. Moving on to SG&A, uh, we reported SG&A of 9.45%, higher by 25 basis points than last year's 9.20%. Again, in Q1, it, it, we'll write down the two columns. 
reported uh, and without gas deflation operations, uh, minus 18 and minus 14 basis points, minus being meaning it's higher year over year. Central, minus two and minus one. Stock compensation, minus three and minus two. Pre-opening expense, minus two and minus two. Again, for a total reported margin higher, minus 25 year over year at I'm sorry, SG&A, not margin, 25, and uh, without gas deflation, uh, by ni- higher by 19 basis points. The core, again, was higher by 18 and higher by 14, excluding the impact from gas. This included 12 weeks of this past March's extra top-of-scale increase in our wages, which, we've, which, which represents an estimated two basis point hit. And as of September 18th, we raised the starting wage in the U.S. and Canada, that estimated impact from the new, those new wages to be roughly two basis points as well. Again, central, nothing much to say other than it's one basis pi- higher, excluding gas deflation. Again, it was stock comps to the minus 2x gas deflation and pre-opening. We did have a couple of more openings this year in the quarter than we did last year, and that was higher by two basis points. <clears throat> Below the operating income line, interest expense was $38, basis point, $38 million this year. $4 million higher than last year's $34 million figure. Interest income and other for the quarter was higher by $107 million, uh, coming in at $160 million this year versus $53 million last year. This was driven largely by the increase in interest income, about $100 million of that $107, due to higher interest rates as well as higher cash balances. The, the small additional impact was a favorable FX year over year. In terms of income taxes, our tax rate in the first quarter was 24.5%. This compares to 23.0% a year ago or 1.5 percentage points uh, higher this year than last year. Uh, the increase in our rate as of Q1 in Q1 is primarily attributable to lower benefit from the stock-based compensation from a year ago. Overall, reported net income was up 16.5% year over year in the quarter. A few, few other items of note. Uh, in terms of warehouse expansion, in the first quarter, we opened 10 locations, including one reload, so a net of nine increases. That Those nine included eight in the U.S. and one in Canada. Uh, for the full year, fiscal 24, we estimate opening, uh, we're planning to open 33 locations, including two reloads. So for a net increase of 31 new warehouses, that would be up from 23 that we opened in fiscal 23. For Q2, uh, fiscal 24, we planned four new locations, including our sixth building in China uh, early in the calendar year. Regarding capital expenditures, the first quarter capital expenditure spend was approximately $1.04 billion. We estimate that fiscal 24 CapEx will be in the $4.4 to $4.6 billion range. That's up from $4.3 billion we had in fiscal 23, reflecting a continued increase in the number of ex- the expansion that we're doing. In terms of e-commerce business, e-com sales in Q1, XFX increased 6.1%, the first quarterly year-over-year increase in five fiscal quarters, and trended well during the three reporting periods of September, October, and November. E-com showed strength in several areas. Uh, In food, uh, things like e-gift cards, uh, pet items, snack items were up in the mid-teens. Appliances were up in the year-over-year in the mid-20s. 
TVs uh, was actually uh, uh, in the high singles, despite the challenges with other aspects of consumer electronics like computers. And tires were up in the low teens. So overall, a pretty good showing there. As well, Costco Logistics enjoyed record-breaking deliveries. In the first quarter of fiscal 24, we completed over 800,000 deliveries, which were up 17% versus the comparable quarter last year. And some fun wow items in the quarter in e-commerce. Uh, you've probably read about the fact that we're solding one-ounce gold bars. We sold over $100 million of gold during the quarter. We sold a Babe Ruth autographed index card for $20,000. And in addition to e-gift cards on everything from restaurants to golf to airlines, and we just in the last couple of weeks launched a Disney e-gift card uh, valued at $250 for $224.99. And for you last-minute shoppers out there, there's a Mickey Mantle autographed 1951 rookie card in nearly perfect condition, and it's on sale, sale online for $250,000. Uh, next, uh, good progress continues to be made with our e-com, mobile, and digital efforts. No big enhancements and changes to the site leading up to the holidays, mostly holiday prep. Uh, we did have 100% site availability during Cyber Week, and sales for the five Cyber Days, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Cyber Monday, were up year over year in the mid-teens. Our app downloads during the quarter were two and three quarters million, so total app downloads are now stand at 30 and a half million, or a 10% increase during the quarter. And that's after a, being over 40% increase in all of fiscal 23 versus the prior year. Our site traffic uh, uh, approaching a half a billion and uh, uh, just under 10% increase and the average order value being up about 2.5%. So continue to make progress there. Uh, next, a couple of uh, comments regarding inflation. Uh, most recently in the last fourth quarter uh, discussion, we had estimated that year-over-year -year inflation was in the 1% to 2% range. Our estimate for the quarter just ended that inflation was in the 0% to 1% range. Bigger deflation and some big and bulky items like furniture sets due to lower freight costs year over year, as well as on things like domestics, uh, bulky, lower priced items, uh, again, where the, the freight cost is significant. Some deflationary items were as much as 20 to 30 percent, and again, mostly freight related. TVs, the average sale prices have been lower while units have been higher. And in talking to the buyers overall, our inventories and our SKU counts are in good shape across all channels, and so far, we've had a good seasonal sell-through during the quarter. Uh, lastly, as you saw in this, uh, this afternoon's press release, we declared a $15 per share special cash dividend. This is our fifth special dividend in 11 years. The total payout will be about just under $6.7 billion and will be funded using existing cash and not accompanied by any issuance of debt. The special cash dividend will be paid on January 12th uh, to shareholders of record on December 28th. Uh, finally, in terms of up upcoming releases, uh, we will announce our December sales results for the five weeks ending Sunday, December 31st on Thursday, January 4th after market close. With that, I will turn it back for Q&A to Lisa and be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. As a reminder, everyone, that is star one on your telephone. We'll take our first question from Michael Lasser with UBS. Good evening. Thank you so much for taking my question. Richard, you, you had indicated over the last year and a half or so that Costco had been raising prices faster than it had throughout its history. So now with, with prices coming down, what is going to be the posture 
on passing along those savings. You already noted that um, inflation is flat to up 1%. So do you expect deflation, especially on the food side, as you get through the next couple of quarters? Well, you know, talking to buyers, we've seen, you know, even during the quarter, we saw the, the trend towards that zero versus the one. But at, but at the end of the day, uh, we don't. The, the buyers are looking out three to six months. They have on the fresh food side, commodities-wise, they haven't seen a lot. There are a few things that are up and a few things are down, but no giant trend either way. Look, as you know us for a long time, we want to be the first to lower prices. We're out there pressing our vendors as we see different commodity components come down. And certainly on the non-food side, as we saw shipping costs come down, things like that. Uh, and so you, you, probably a little more than less, but we'll have to wait and see. We don't know. In my follow-up is another point that, that you've made for a long time is that Costco is going to draft off the profitability of the broader retail sector. If we compare Costco's operating margin uh, um, over the last 12 months versus where it was prior to the pandemic, it's three to 480 points higher. And yet across retail, there are signs that profitability is coming down. So now... What would stand in the way of Costco either maintaining this existing rate of operating profits margin or even further growing it from here? Is it just simply going to be a function of your ability to drive further sales growth in the consistently uh, mid-single-digit mid, uh, range or better? Sure. Well, happily, I'm, a, I'm able to say that that's you get to figure that one out. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're as you've known for a long time, we're, we're a top line company. We want to drive sales. Certainly, as there's been deflation in certain products, we've seen units go up. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at one example here. Just in the last month, a hundred plus million dollars of of KS nut items, where sales were flat to down a couple percent, while units were up in the mid teens. Uh, that takes a little more labor to do, but at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. We want to drive people in frequency, and I think as long as we see, uh, you know, renewal rates continue to do what they do, as long as we see new signups continue to do what they do, and hopefully continue to get people to do, you know, convert to executive as well, uh, and constantly driving the best value out there, we'll be in good stead. And uh, uh, so far, we've been able to do that, and I think we'll continue to be able to do that. Thank you very much, and have a good holiday. You too. We'll take our next question from Simeon Gutman with Morgan Stanley. Hi there. This is Jackie Sussman on for Simeon. Thank you so much for taking our question. Um, the core and core margin was up modestly this quarter, and it seems like it moderated sequentially. Looking forward to the balance of the year, it seems like the comparison gets a bit tougher. I guess how should we think about your core and core margin? Could it stay expanding and positive for the rest of the year, or any color on that would be helpful? Thank you so much. Uh, you know, there's so many different moving parts to it. Uh, you know, as you've heard me say, and I say in, in the last several years, uh, we want to drive top line first. We're also pragmatic. We want we recognize we're a for-profit company, and we'll continue to to work hard to do both. Um, uh, I, I I wouldn't read much into any number going up a little or down a little. Frankly, uh, it, 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 it fluctuates, and there's lots of different components to it. Gotcha. Thanks so much. And just a quick follow-up. Was the Black Friday and Summer Monday gains that you had better than what you were expecting internally? Thanks so much. 
they were a little better than we were expecting, but we were ready for it. Thanks so much. We'll take our next question from Chuck Grom with Gordon Haskett. Hey, um, how's it going, Richard? Um, good afternoon. Um, I wanted to just dive into the core margins a little bit more and see if you could flush out um, some of the category color. I, I, if you said it, I missed it, but food, sundries, fresh, and, and on the hard lines um, parts of the business. Well, without giving you specific basis points, you know, food and sundries was slightly down, uh, very slightly down. Uh, Non-food was actually up. Some of that relates to the fact that we are comparing against last year when we had higher freight costs and trying to drive business, and fresh was down a little bit. So not, nothing earth-shattering in, in, in either, either of those directions. Okay, and then on the ancillary, up 22 basis points, I think we all, all get the gas component, but can you just talk about why the e-commerce margins were, were so much better in the quarter? I, I think, well, first of all, part of just ancillary in general is, is a sales penetration issue, without going into it, that, you know, the fact that uh, it showed more, sometimes when you look back over the quarters, they, they, go, they go in opposite directions, they, they core on core and then the, the other, other businesses. And so given that you had higher sales penetration in both uh, e-com, uh, uh, e that helped you. And e-com, we had a lot of strength. We're, we're doing a lot of big and bulky and we're driving that business. Okay, great. And then, you know, just bigger picture. You know, I just have a question on the change at the at the CEO seat with Ron, starting in a few weeks and taking the, replacing Craig, who who replaced Jim. You know, you've had the fortunate opportunity to work with all three, and and I guess I'm curious what change, if any, you think we could see from a from an operating standpoint moving forward. Yeah. Well, I always joke I'm up for review, so I'm going to say nice things. But, uh, no, at the end of the day, the reality is is we're staying the course. Uh, you know, I remember questions were asked 12-plus years ago when Craig became president, and two years later, Jim retired, and Craig became CEO and president. And, what's you know, who can replace Jim? And I think the same question is asked today, who can replace Craig? And it really is a seamless transition. You have uh, somebody retiring that's been here 40-ish years uh, and has been in the business both on operations and merchandising for a successful number of years in both. And you've got uh, Ron, who's coming in, who started when he was 17 in, at a price club in Arizona, and is, he already has his 40-year gold patch. And again, 30-ish years in operations, a year in, in real estate traveling the world, and then seven or eight, six or seven years in merchandising. So uh, I think it is pretty seamless. And to see them, the two of them work together over the last, Two year, year, almost two years since Ron became president. It's very similar to what uh, you know I saw during those two years when when Craig became president, and then two years later Jim retired and Craig took on the CEO role as well. Um, and uh, so that's pretty much steady as she goes. Gotcha. Great. Happy holidays. Thanks. Thanks. We'll take our next question from Scott Mushkin with R5 Capital. Hey, Richard. Um, I guess I just wanted to think about the potential clubs in the U.S. I know this comes up uh, sometimes, but obviously you added eight. It just seems like there's maybe more runway even here in the U.S., and I wonder if you had any thoughts on that, and then I had a quick follow-up. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, if we were to open the 31 this year, that would be somewhere in the low 20s, the 23, 24 in the U.S., 
Uh, now, recognize a few of those are business centers, which is we continue to add uh, as well as regular warehouse. You know, most of them are regular warehouses. And uh, I would say that, yeah, you know, I, I guess the story I'd share with you is, you know, six or eight years ago when it was roughly 60, 40, or 70, 30 U.S., Canada versus the international, other international. Um, and we were asked, what would it be by today? I'd say, well, by today, it'll be 50-50. Well, today, you're asking the same question. It's 60-40 or 70-30 today. What will it be? And I think it'll trend that way over time, but we are finding more opportunities in the U.S. Clearly, our average sales volume per location is higher today than we would have expected ourselves, thankfully, you know, six, seven years ago, what would it be by now? And uh, we are finding those opportunities. So I, I view that as good news. We still, you know, have got a lot of things going on to, to drive international. Uh, but, you know, international will be, you know, six or seven units this year. And uh, and that will continue to grow. Last year, international was, was nine, nine or ten. And that's, that's more of a timing issue. So, so then my follow-up is around traffic and also like the growth you had in appliances and TVs. You're just kind of going a different direction than a lot of people. So what's driving the share gains in those categories? But also, are you guys doing anything specifically different to drive the traffic numbers you're seeing? Because, I mean, they're pretty pretty amazing given, you know, the, the environment. Yeah, well, look, I... I I've always said I think the the biggest attribute of value is the lowest price on given quantity and quality of a good or service and and then certainly add to that the trust that our members have. I think as it relates to specific things like I pointed out like appliances and even tires, uh, it's value. Uh, we uh, and the combination and you know having acquired uh, you know uh, Innovel three or four years ago now called Costco Logistics, we're doing a lot of business there and I think we've gotten a better job of, better job of communicating what the value is, not just showing what the price of the, the exact item is at some of the other big retail competitors on some of these big items, uh, but then you add in delivery, uh, take away the old product, use the installation, delivery, uh, uh, take away the old product for uh, disposition. Um, it, it's significant savings. Go do a price check of some of those things compared to our competition. That's where you'll see the strength. Perfect. Thanks. We'll take our next question from John Heinbuckle with Guggenheim. So, Richard, I'm wondering if one of the things you, you may do differently here, we've talked about this before, is um, leaning into personalization more and where you are on that, uh, on that journey, particularly with Ron coming in. Right. Well, we're if first order business was fixing the foundation. We're in the middle of replatforming e our e-commerce. Not it's not a big bang where we're going to split the switch one day. We're bringing things over, and that's in progress. It's, it was I think I mentioned last probably last quarter. It's a, a two-year roadmap on that, and we're halfway through that. Um, and uh, so I I I'd say very little so far. Uh, if we were you know if we were in the second inning, maybe we're in the third inning now. But we a lot of the focus has been on first of all making sure doing small improvements we certainly got the uh, uh, you know the on the five-star rating you know we got up north of four and a half on that and uh, we're getting better at the site every time but I, I think you'd see personalization and uh, first of all targeting and then personalization more over the next couple of years honestly and we're fine with that we're first word business is getting the foundation right and, and we've made a lot of progress. Uh, as I, I didn't spend a lot of time on this call talking about the uh, the, the new things, the enhancements we've made to the mobile site and the e-com site, but we've done a lot. 
And maybe as a follow-up, right? You talked about the international opportunity, and it's still, you know, very well under underdeveloped. So what the the hindrance to getting to because you're in a lot, a lot of countries now, uh, 15 to 20 uh, annual openings. Maybe that's that's a big ask, but you know, is it just qu- quality of real estate? Because I would imagine uh, operationally, uh, it's not a it's not a human resource issue. Is it is it purely a real estate issue? I would say it's a combination of issues. Uh, in some countries, I mean, if you look at a Korea, Taiwan, we where we have whatever. Uh, 15 or 16 locations in each country, uh, very successful. Uh, it's a little harder to find the next location just from a real estate standpoint. Uh, you know, we uh, if you look in Japan where we have plenty of future opportunity, uh, uh, we've got 30 plus now. And uh, but again, it's a little bit of real estate. If you look at places like China or Spain, one of the challenges is uh, you want you like to be able to ideally bring over more than a handful of people from the existing location to the new one. It's a very hands-on operation. I think one of the things that we felt, we mentioned that we had success when we first opened our first unit in Shanghai is we had at least 60, 70 people move there from Taiwan for promotions and for interactions, not just in the office and the buying offices, but even in the key you know, uh, supervisor and manager positions within the warehouse. And so it, it, it takes a little longer, And uh, but we're, we're working hard at it, it but it's a very hands-on experience. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Kelly Banya with BMO Capital Markets. Hi, Richard. Thanks for uh, taking our questions. I just wanted to kind of follow up on Scott's question. I think your average sales per club in the U.S. and Canada is around $300 at this point. And just curious on the status of how many clubs are, are doing kind of well over that and are maybe in some need some re- of relief in the form of self-cannibalization um, and, and more clubs nearby. And follow-up as well on international, just as we think about the next maybe three to five years, are there any countries that might be disproportionately um, getting some more of the growth um, here? Okay. Um... What was the first part of the question again? The average sales. Oh, average sales. Yeah, the I, average. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know in fiscal 23, we had something like 25 or so locations that did over $400 million and another 160 or so that did 300 to $400 million. Those are huge numbers. And certainly as we get 350 plus, and, and one of them, by the way, that did over 400 did uh, a few million over 600 million. So, uh, and so I, I generally when it starts getting, when it starts having a three in front of it, certainly a 350, uh, we want to start looking to see what we can do to, to, to cannibalize it, frankly, and to have more growth in that market. And so, you know, hopefully that's our, one of our bigger problems and challenges that we have more of those each year. So I, I think that'll continue. Uh, again, if I look back five, eight years ago, even assuming whatever inflation number you want to assume, uh, I think we've done a little better than that in terms of these sales volumes. And uh, so that's good news for us that we'll we'll continue to do that. Internationally, again, I'm just looking at the the map of where we are. Certainly, you know, we only have four locations in Spain. Uh, we've actually have added a few on a base of 30 plus in in the UK. Uh, we think we have more opportunity in Mexico, uh, in uh, Japan, where we have something in the low 30s. 
certainly it's done well there, and there's many more markets and population there that we can go to. Uh, Australia, you know, is whatever, two-thirds, this, a little under two-thirds the size of Canada, where we have 105 or so locations. And in Australia, we have 15. Yeah, 15. Now, I'm not suggesting we're going to have two-thirds of 105 there anytime soon. It took us, you know, 35-plus years to get there in Canada. and uh, But we think that they're, they're, those are the opportunities. Uh, it's not like we're looking for a lot of other new countries at this juncture. We've done a few new countries, those single locations like in Sweden and Iceland and Auckland, all being somewhat managed up, uh, uh, buying-wise and somewhat operationally by a host country, in the case of uh, Scandinavia by the UK, in the case of Auckland by Australia. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Scott Ciccarelli with Truist. Uh, good afternoon, guys. So, Richard, last quarter you talked a bit about Costco Next. I guess my question is, how big of an impact is that program having on your e-com sales at this point, number one? Number two, kind of related to that, any change in your betting of what vendors operate on that program, just thinking about the, the quality control aspect? Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, it, it's it's still very small relative to our company. And the fact is is that the cost of next sales currently are not in our sales. Uh, it, it's third, it's third, we get a commission, so it's kind of like 3P, if you will. Uh, 3P sales, and at some t juncture, some of there there's rules, accounting rules of where you can include it in sales based on what risk and what ownership level you have in the items. But at this juncture, those sales, it's more of an the uh, you know uh, market value and just the commission in our in our number. Uh, you know, in terms of how we vet. We do it the same way we vet items. Uh, we want items that make sense, that provide value, and uh, we have a team that are, that is here that are vetting, vetting every each and every one of those. I think we're up to about 70, about 65 current suppliers on there, and uh, we'll certainly have many more as we go forward. So presumably, if that program keeps growing, should that be a natural gross margin driver for you over time? I know it's small now, but if you're just collecting the commission, you know, presumably that's kind of 100% margin, right? Uh, essentially, yes. Much like the travel business. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Mostly. We'll take our next question from Greg Millick with Evercore ISI. Hi, thanks. Um, Richard, I uh, wanted to follow up on the uh, membership fee hike, as I think now we're in extra time. And I'd wonder how much does the growth and mix and executive membership driving that high single-digit growth, is is that what means that you you don't have to increase it and you could keep waiting? Or is there something else? I think it's just us. I mean, you know, again, I, if I look at the, if you if you ask the question, what are the variables we would look at? We would, we would want to look at strong renewal rates, strong new signups, strong loyalty, and we have all that. So I think it's the question is that we we haven't needed to do it. We like ex providing extreme value. Certainly, while we've gone a little longer than the average increase, uh, we feel we certainly have driven more value to the membership. So, uh, you know, I'll use my standby answer, my pat answer. It's a question of when, not if. But at this juncture, we, we feel pretty good about what we're doing. And, and a follow-up on inflation. I just want to make sure I got that right. You said zero to one for the quarter. Did it trend towards zero? Did we exit near the bottom? And 
And you mentioned some categories that were deflationary. Which ones are stubborn in terms of inflation, where it's hardest to get it out? Which inflation? Which which categories are stubborn in inflation? Yeah. CPG, brands, mostly. All the branded package stuff. There wasn't a big trend. I I think at the end it was a little lower than the beginning, but not a big trend. Okay, so it's not like we exited zero. We're still slightly positive. Right, but recognize the LIFO charge is an inventory cost of sales charge. Right. The, the zero to one is from the beginning of the fiscal year. No. Oh no, it's from the. I'm sorry. The beginning of the the zero to one is versus a year ago. A year over year. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And then this last. What is the auto renewal rate now? Around sixty percent. In the U.S., it's around sixty percent. Perfect. Thanks. Have a great holiday, guys. You too. We'll take our next uh, question from Rupesh Parikh with Oppenheimer. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. So I just want to go to operating expense growth. So operating expense growth is still high. Uh, Would you expect the growth rates to moderate once you lap that March wage increase? And then anything unusual within that line item that's still driving uh, pretty high growth? There's not a lot unusual. I think it gets back to the question of low inflation, which creates a little bit more of a challenge, right? You know, my extreme, and again, that, that was a very extreme example. I gave you a nuts, but you know, when you had a, 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 a zero, a slight, you know, zero to two percent decline in sales and a fourteen percent increase in units, you got more labor involved, more hours stuck on the shelf. I mean, that's you know, at the forty thousand foot level, uh, and that's an extreme example. But I, I think overall. Um, it, it is sales-based. I, I, you, you should also remember, if you go, I remember going back to fiscal 19 and the first part of fiscal 20 before COVID, you know, our SG&A percent was, you know, for all of 19, it was a 10.04. In the first quarter of 2020, it was a 10.34. And for the whole year, it was a 10.04 for both of those two years. And we used to think to ourselves, will we ever be able to get it back below 10? And in 2022, which was the kind of month seven through 18, if you will, that that 12 month period after that full fiscal year for us of COVID, we were, we reported an 888 for that year. So even at the 945 that we just reported, we're still quite a bit lower than we had been historically, a, a function of a lot of things, including higher sales productivity and all that. So I think we're doing pretty well. I think certainly that's the that's the challenge. Uh, how do we how do we how do we reduce that? And uh, uh, how do we how do we uh, manage that? Uh, and certainly, the biggest way to manage it is driving more sales. Great. And then may- maybe just one follow-up question. So, just curious, how you're feeling about the health of your consumer? So, it was interesting to hear that TVs were you know w- did well this past quarter. Look, I, I think when we're asked that question, we're fortunate to answer it that we're we're first of all looking at the consumer through somewhat uh, 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 rose-colored glasses here. Um, the uh, uh, you know we, we have enjoyed great value, and again we're convinced it's it's value. It's we've gotten I think on on the on the margin there's a, a few extra things that that we've done. We've improved the site, the website. We've gotten a little better communicating stuff, not completely, uh, but uh, I, I think overall it's and we've been good merchants. I, I think the merchants have done a great job of bringing in new stuff, and uh, and not being and not being shy when 
we see an industry category down a lot that we can still, if we're driving people in, we've got a better chance of getting them to buy something. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thanks. We'll take our next question from Oliver Chen with TD Cowan. Hi, this is uh, Tom Nasson for Oliver. Uh, just a quick question on uh, the trend of Kirkland uh, relative to last year. If you could just remind us how that's trending, um, maybe across categories, and then if you have any notable call-outs, um, any recent innovations. Just curious um, if this is essentially driving any efficiencies in supplier negotiations um, that could position Costco for stronger gross margin ahead. Well, I would say allowing us to get better deals, which means lower prices. But, you know, look, I think Kirkland Signature relative to non-gas sales is in the high 20s. And I think it was probably a good year ago when inflation was in the 8 and 9 range, if you will, uh, if you remember. Uh, and we talked about that year over year, we saw probably the biggest increased penetration of KS at Costco. It was, it was one, one and a half percentage points, when historically it had been 25 to 50 basis points a year. Uh, I think we're back to that, but we've maintained that higher level. And, uh, and we're back to seeing smaller increases in penetration every year, but nonetheless still driving that business. But we've got... Yeah, I think that helps uh, with some of the deflationary stuff. Certainly, with KS stuff, we're closer to the supplier. We're not the only uh, we're the only customer buying that item, and 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 we can drive a little bit more business. Uh, so I, I think it just continues to work that way for us. Great, and then just a quick follow up on um, any notable uh, behavioral trends you've seen in consumer uh, shopping this holiday season. Uh, some colleague in my room said they're buying gold, but no, and that's actually online mostly. But uh, no, I, I think um, I, again, I, I think the traffic thing is the thing that we're happily surprised about that we're continuing to drive people in on an increasing basis. Uh, you know, we we know we benefited during those call it those two years, kind of you know March April of twenty to March April of twenty two, the kind of the two years of COVID. We benefited in, in in many ways from more members and more volumes, and we've not only kept it, we're continuing now to add to those levels. So we're we're, we're we feel very fortunate in that regard. Thanks. Uh, one of my colleagues here just mentioned that discretionary merchandise trends are getting a little better. And that's not only on big ticket, but in general, general non-food sign stuff. I think that that corresponds with my comment earlier that uh, we feel good about uh, you know the seasonal how we've done seasonally. We'll take our Great, next thank question. You. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Mark Astrachan with Stiefel. Yeah. Thanks, and an afternoon, everyone. Um, I guess I wanted to ask on, on the Kirkland products, specifically maybe on, on the CPG that you mentioned, have, how have pricing or how has prices trended on those versus the branded products? Have you seen any deviation there given you're closer? Are you able to lower prices? I suppose um, you know, to the extent that that has happened, do you notice any more market share changes within those CPG categories? I think you know. I think it's, it's it's slightly it's deflationary. It's a little more deflationary in the KS than in the CPG. But we're we're we're, we're which drives more value to KS, frankly. But we're seeing some some our ability to work with our CPG 
suppliers as well. Uh, but just a little stronger ability to do that with KS. Got it. And, and, and it is, uh, again, a comment in the room here. We've had, uh, it's allowed us to do some new item introductions on the KS side as well. Great. Um, and then just following up on the last question, anything you can you can call out amongst the newer memberships cohorts in terms of renewal rates versus the average? Generally speaking, you know, if you compare, everybody's always concerned. I remember 10 plus years ago, people would ask, how are you going after millennials? And then it's how are you going after the next gen or whatever, the Gen Zs or whatever. At the end of the day, when we look at the different cohorts, if you just change the names, the, the curve seems to be about the same in terms of getting new younger members. They buy less, and they buy more as they get older into that 40 to 55 year old sweet spot. I don't know in terms of in terms of renewal rates. I think the rates are improving. Our overall rates are improving, so I think we're probably doing a better job there. Certainly, things like frankly auto renewal help that as well. Got it. Thank you. Happy holidays. Same to you. We'll take our next question from Corey Tarlow with Jeffries. Hi, good afternoon. Um, thank you for taking my questions. Richard, you mentioned about the wage increases that you've taken recently. I'm curious to get your thoughts about the wage increases that you've taken within the context of now the lower inflation that you're seeing, as well as uh, what could be potential deflation further ahead. So um, I'm curious about the ability for Costco to maybe maintain a more nimble margin structure amid what could be some volatility on the pricing side. Uh, you know, we, we frankly we look at the wages in a vacuum. Uh, we want to do as much as we can for our employees, and and uh, certainly you know there were several increases starting with the the, the frontline worker premium during the initial year of COVID. We kept half of that in there, which you know we kept one of those two dollars an hour in there, which was like four hundred four hundred million a year. Uh, again, we've also benefited from stronger sales and productivity, so we were able to afford that. But we look at them independently, and we'll continue to do that, uh, to, to look at it. Uh, to the extent inflationary pressures are down, that means there's probably a little less inflationary pressure on wages. But we, we give, you know, over half of our employees are top of scale, and they're, they're getting increases irrespective of some of the extra things we talked about every March. And then as you go from a new employee over the first nine or 10,000 hours, you're getting constant increases that are more significantly more. Understood. And then just piggybacking off of that, and I understand it may be difficult to attribute a cause and effect relationship to this, but do you think that perhaps the moderating inflation that we've seen in the need-based categories like fresh and food and sundries uh, may have unlocked a little bit of extra wallet to spend in the non-food category and may have driven some of the momentum that you've seen in categories like TVs and others? I think it can't hurt, uh, you know, even with gas prices have come down a little bit. Uh, you know, that's top of mind every week when somebody fills up their tank. So those things help. I think, I'm sure on a macro basis that's the case, but it, it's a guess on our part. Understood. Great. Thank you very much, and best of luck. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Dean Rosenblum with Bernstein. 
Hey, Richard, guys, thanks for taking my questions. Um, there's really two big debates that clients are asking us about. First one's on gross margins, and in particular, the potential for a gross margin impact from next shift back toward things like appliances and TVs, which are notoriously lower gross margin, at least in the marketplace, versus fresh and food and sundries. Um, as you see the, the, the sort of big ticket discretionary starting to come back a little bit, do you expect any overall impact on gross margins from that mixed shift away from food and sundries to big ticket discretionary? You know, first of all, our, our, our margin range is so much more compacted than traditional retail uh, you know, different categories of traditional retail. I mean, if you think about it, we have, what, a 12 13% gross margin? 11 I'm thinking markup. Uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and in theory, it ranges from 0 to 15. In reality, it's in, there's a, very few things that are below 5, and a lot of things hover around the 8 to 12 range. And uh, and and so I, I don't think it's as big of an impact to us in terms of those mixed changes. And you know, and I, I gotta say, I gotta say, it's always that old saying: it's always something. There's always something that hurts you, and there's another thing that helps you. <laughs> and it's 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 a really it's a mixture. So true. And then the other the other big debate that clients are asking about is the relative profitability of new stores versus existing stores. And there's sort of two themes there. One is U, new U.S. versus existing U.S. And then the relative profitability of new stores internationally. I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. Well, first of all, you know, when you're looking like an, at an ROI, the I on a the denominator on an older building has a lower I. Uh, you know, if ten years ago the Typical building in the United States, land, you know, property equipment and building and fixtures. I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, but was was 30 to 35 million, and now it's 45 to 50 million. So you've got a different eye. Um, but generally speaking, um, when we when uh, when we look at the ROI of each of our eight U.S. regions, our two Canadian regions, uh, new units come in, start a little lower, and, and get up there over time. You'll have some outliers because of some units that are 30 and 40 years old, even with the eye increase because we expanded the unit and upgraded it and remodeled it. The fact of the matter is, is those higher volumes really shine through there. Uh, on an international standpoint, uh, we've always, I think, talked about the fact that there's a few different things that the the, the ROIs in some of these other countries uh, tend to be a little higher. Uh, the return on sales tends to be uh, even more high, even higher than that in some of these countries because a combination very little related to gross margin, some related to gross, to membership fees, some related to wages, and some related to benefits, health benefits. You know, U.S. healthcare costs dwarf every other country that we're in. Got it. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Good holidays and thanks for the pie. Thank you. <laughs> We'll take our next question from Joe Feldman with Telsey Advisory Group. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, wanted to first ask on executive member penetration seems like it continues to inch higher. And I was just wondering how you guys think about that and like how high should that be? I mean, presumably you'd want everybody to be an executive member, but is there like kind of a natural level where you think it can still go from here beyond the 
I, I think well, there's there's always going to be another country or two we add. You, you you need a certain number. In our view, we've always done it after there's 15 or so warehouses in a country, uh, so that'll add to it a little bit. But no, we I I think some of the increase it, it's kind of like getting up to that asymptotic line when you uh, you know one of the things that drove it in the last few years. One we've done a better job in the last several years of of, of selling it to you, uh, as well as auto renewal. When people come in now or sign up online, they're signing up to they want to put their credit or, or debit card in there, and, 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 and they can opt out. They can opt into to do, doing it online, uh, doing, doing auto renewal. So, so I, I think those things have pushed it along with us you know, being so wonderful. But I, I think you'll still see it come up a little bit, but probably that rate of increase will slow over time. Got it. Okay. And then maybe just a quick follow-up. Um, anything to talk about on shrink? Because I know that you know there was an issue with shrink even for you guys at one point, and I know you guys have cracked down on, you know, making sure members are showing their cards when they walk in the store, and obviously that when you leave with your goods, they're they're checking your receipts. But anything we should think about with regard to shrink going forward and and recent trends. Nothing. Thankfully, nothing at all. Good. It's really, you know, you know. I think what all we talked about was, a, you know, a combination of as we went into some self checkout over the last several years, and then perhaps more recent things that you read about in the paper, we get less impacted by the latter as well. Maybe we saw a couple of basis point delta upward on a very low number of basis points to start with. So we're fortunate in that regard. Thank you, and uh, happy holidays, guys. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Laura Champion with Loop Capital. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to dig in a little bit more into some of those um, uh, numbers on the column. The, the ancillary profit improvement, I, I think that's where you're um, – I'm just wondering what drove that. And on the operations line, it, it sounds like that that pressure in SGNA didn't come mostly from wages, and I'm wondering where it did come from. Yeah, yeah. On the ancillary line, it, it's gas and ecom, and it's a combination of increased sales penetration and increased margins within those businesses. You know, the thing about gas is, I think everybody out there that has gas stations. What we have found is, is we've been able to see improved profitability, not just in the last quarter or two, but over the last few years, uh, last three to five years, uh, improved profitability in gas because others are making more and we're allowed to make a little more. When we do our, our competitive price shops on gas, which we do weekly at every gas station we operate with our with, with neighboring competitive gas stations, our value proposition is actually increased increased number of cents per gallon than we've ever seen. So that's been a if you will a win-win for us. Uh on the e on the e-com side, I think driving more sales has helped us in the margins there as well. Thanks. And then oh. just on the, on the operations. On the wages. 
Yeah, on the wages, well, we pointed out, I, I pointed out in the call, I think there was like four or so basis points in total from those two distinct increases. We do other increases, like the, you know, over half of our employees are top of scale. They get an increase every March uh, that, that's that's significant as well, that's significant relative to basis points when you have, uh, you know, lower sales low, lower sales figures. Everything, and it's, it's, the rest of it is all the other line items like energy costs and the like. Got it. So most of the pressure is probably coming from wages, not just those two discrete call-outs you had. It's more than half. I don't have the exact figures with me. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. And there are no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the call back over to Richard Galanti for any additional or closing remarks. Well, thank you, Lisa, and thank you, everyone, on the call. Uh, we're around to answer questions and uh, have a happy holiday. And uh, I think this is a record time of finishing this call. So uh, enjoy the holidays. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that does conclude the presentation. Thank you for your participation today. And you